Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowitz, your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Remember, you can listen to all of the past episodes of Throwback FDNY by going to the website of the New York City Fire Museum at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny and choosing the digital platform you use for listening to podcasts. Each show has three segments going back in time about the FDNY and its history. Now, let's start this month's show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, in 1870, the FDNY unveils its museum. In 1910, Rhinelander Waldo becomes fire commissioner. And in 1911, a devastating fire destroys Dreamland Park in Coney Island. Eighteen seventy was a very important year in FDNY history. Five years earlier, the department went from being a volunteer organization to one of the country's earliest paid firefighting forces. It also put control of the department into the hands of the governor and changed its name from the Fire Department of the City of New York to the Metropolitan Fire Department. But legislation in 1870 brought control back to the New York City mayor by empowering him to appoint the members of the Board of Fire Commissioners, and at the same time, changing the name back to that created in 1798, the Fire Department of the City of New York. The new Board of Fire Commissioners, and specifically Commissioners T. Bailey Myers and Charles Gildersleeve, decided to use historic artifacts to celebrate the department as it was before the intervening five tenths years. What they did was to set up a museum in headquarters, then known as Fireman's Hall. At the time, it was located at 155 Mercer Street, between West Houston and Prince Streets. It was built in 1855, replacing a prior structure on the site dating back to 1824. Both iterations not only served as headquarters, they were active firehouses with companies quartered on the first floor. The museum, was open to the public. We learn of all this through an article published in the New York Times on December 20th, 1870. It talks about the opening of the museum and describes some of the artifacts on display. They included a hand pumper known as the Pocahontas, a life-size portrait of Chief Cornelius Anderson, and a 1789 membership certificate signed by Robert Benson. With the exception of the Pocahontas, these items are still in the possession of the New York City Fire Museum. A ceremony was held a few weeks later to unveil the museum. A speech discussing its importance and significance to the FDNY was made by Judge Charles Daly, Chief Justice of the New York Court of Common Pleas. At the same event, the very first James Gordon Bennett medals, at the time the highest award of valor in the department, were presented to Captains Minthorne Tompkins, and Benjamin Gickwell. Fire headquarters were moved out of this building into the third floor of a new firehouse at East 67th Street in 1886. While there is no clear evidence of what became of the historic artifacts, I assume some went with the commissioners to their new third floor digs. But newspaper articles from the same year describe a museum at the Veteran Firemen's Building on 8th Street, about a mile from the Mercer Street headquarters. So if either was the destination of the artifacts, 
it's clear that there was some continuity to the museum. The next known location of the museum was its formal establishment at the new apparatus repair shop in Long Island City by order of Dean of the Fire College, Assistant Chief George McKenna. In 1938, the FDNY leased the old Packard Building, a building erected to sell and work on Packard automobiles. It was equipped with an elevator that can move heavy fire apparatus to various levels of the eight-story structure. Fortunately, the first photographs of museum displays we have are from this location. The museum moved, along with the repair shops, to a new, very impressive and large structure in 1948. This and the prior location were not particularly accessible to the general public. This building still houses the department shops, but the museum was moved once again in 1957. The next location was in one bay of the large firehouse on Duane Street in Manhattan. Now the general public had easy access to the museum. That bay was separated from the other two by a wall giving the museum its own home for the first time. My first visit there was in the 1980s, and I can tell you from personal experience, it was magnificent. Initially, the museum was under the jurisdiction of the Bureau of Training, later transferring to the Bureau of Personnel and Administration, and finally to the Community Relations Bureau. A major event took place in 1981, when Citibank acquired the home insurance company which had a fire museum established by Harold V. Smith at their headquarters on Maiden Lane. That museum included a reproduction of a 19th century firehouse, complete with hand pumper. It also had the largest collection of fire marks in the United States. What would become of these thousands of artifacts when Citibank decided to shutter the museum? Well, the company entered into conversations with the city and the fire department. But the Duane Street building was far too small to accommodate any more than it already had. So a decision was made to launch a campaign to build a new, larger museum. A nonprofit organization was formed to solicit donations for the effort that resulted in converting the old quarters of Engine Company 30 into the showpiece that it became. The doors of the present museum at 278 Spring Street were open to the public on July 6th. 1987. I am honored to present these throwback FDNY podcasts as part of the educational offerings of the New York City Fire Museum, a true gem and a cultural institution charged with telling the story of New York's bravest for the past 153 years. Hi, this is Patty Murphy, the executive director of the New York City Fire Museum. Our mission is to collect, preserve, and present the history and cultural heritage of the Fire Service of New York and to provide fire prevention and safety education to the public, especially children. Located in the heart of the Hudson Square neighborhood in Manhattan, the museum is located in a 1904 firehouse, the former home of FDNY Engine 30. Our two exhibition floors trace the development of firefighting in New York from the early bucket brigades to the present day. Displayed are objects that document the history of the volunteer and paid departments, from hand-painted leather buckets to early motorized apparatus. A separate memorial room honors the 343 members of the FDNY who made the supreme sacrifice on September 11, 2001. 
In conjunction with the FDNY, the museum also operates a world-class fire safety education tour designed to teach participants how to prevent fires within the home and how to protect themselves and escape should a fire occur. The museum is open Wednesday through Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. For more information, please go to nycfiremuseum.org. We hope to see you soon. Rhinelander Waldo was born on May 24, 1877, in New York City, to Francis Wilson Waldo, a stockbroker, and Gertrude Rhinelander. They were a wealthy Manhattan family, and although his father died soon after Rhinelander was born, his mother raised her son in the lap of luxury. He attended private schools and was admitted to the United States Military Academy. After graduating from West Point, he joined the 17th Infantry Regiment of the United States Army. This being immediately following the Spanish-American War, he was dispatched to the Philippines, where he served for several years, including under General Arthur MacArthur, father of General Douglas MacArthur. He served for six years, and upon his return to civilian life, he was soon appointed first deputy commissioner of the NYPD. At the time, he was only 30 years old. He only served in that position for a year before moving on to organize the Aqueduct Police and later to run unsuccessfully for Congress. Waldo was appointed the seventh New York City Fire Commissioner by Mayor William Gaynor on January 13, 1910. One of his first acts as commissioner was a somewhat unusual one. He ordered that all of the department's 1,552 horses should be given names in addition to being identified by a number. Naming these beloved equine members was nothing new. However, such personalization was traditionally done by individual companies. Now, it would be formalized. Just 11 months before Commissioner Waldo took office, the FDNY put its first motorized apparatus into service. As an avid automobile enthusiast who owned several cars, he devised a plan to completely change the department to motorization. But this was not motivated solely as a modernization. It was also an operational and economic one. Horses could only travel at full speed for short distances, pulling heavy steam fire engines and ladder trucks, making responses beyond their range, slow them down, and tire them out. Additionally, the budget to sustain a horse was $900 per year, whereas it only cost $415 a year to maintain motor-powered apparatus. One of New York's most fatal fires occurred during Commissioner Waldo's tenure, the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire. It took place on March 25, 1911. As you probably know, 146 souls perished in that fire. If you'd like to hear more about that dark day in New York history, listen to our March 2021 podcast. Two months after the fire, Fire Commissioner Waldo became Police Commissioner Waldo. He was the first of three men to hold those two positions. He held that post until the end of Mayor Ardolph Klein's term. In the movie Ragtime, the role of Rhinelander Waldo was played by actor James Cagney. Although a name long forgotten, Rhinelander Waldo played a pivotal role in FDNY history. Hello, this is Patty Murphy again, the executive director of the New York City Fire Museum. As 2023 comes to a close, 
please consider supporting the New York City Fire Museum during our 2023 annual appeal, active now through January 5th, 2024. As a 100% self-funded institution, your generous contributions through admissions, gift shop sales, and donations are crucial to our success and sustainability. Donate to our 2023 annual appeal by January 5th, 2024 to inspire our work and advance the New York City Fire Museum. You can contribute by going to nycfiremuseum.org donate. Thank you. We are so grateful for your generous support. Today, the Coney Island neighborhood of Brooklyn remains an area of entertainment venues, including its beach, boardwalk, aquarium, and amusement parks. But a century ago, it was the primary summer destination for New Yorkers in a time long before the advent of air conditioning. Development of the area as a resort began in 1824. In 1829, the area got its first hotel, and wealthy New Yorkers flocked there to escape Manhattan's stifling summer heat. Eventually, people from throughout the socioeconomic strata began traveling there as transportation by ferries and railroads started to prosper. The first amusement ride to be constructed was a carousel in the 1870s, followed by a roller coaster, and about 20 years later, complete amusement parks were developed. One of them was called Dreamland. It opened in 1904 the last of the area's three amusement parks to do so. Of interest to our audience might have been the Fighting the Flames attraction. It was a six-story, fictitious hotel that housed a gas-controlled fire that would be extinguished by the park's fire department with dramatic rescues of multiple occupants. But ironically, it was a real fire in 1911 that was Dreamland's demise. The park's buildings were mostly constructed of wood. Electricity was present, with the early lights being a significant feature of Coney Island's parks, creating nighttime spectacles. But on the night of March 26, 1911, around 1.30 a.m., as roof repairs were being made to Dreamland's Hellgate attraction, a worker knocked over a bucket of hot tar that broke a light bulb and started a fire. Flames were fanned by the ocean breeze, quickly spreading the fire throughout the park. FDNY Engine Company 245 was a mere quarter mile from Dreamland. Engine 318 and ladder 166 did not yet exist, which today would be closer than engine 246, which in 1911 was at the same location it is today, two miles from Dreamland. These factors, plus the primitive road conditions, made response times slower than the flames were spreading. Compounding the problem further, was the high-pressure hydrant system could not handle the multiple streams that were working, along with those of nearby property owners who were dousing their buildings with their own hand lines. This caused the system to provide only a reported 20 to 35 pounds per square inch of pressure, rather than its full capacity of 150 pounds. As a result, the department's fireboats were brought in to battle the conflagration from the ocean side of the park. The fire, initially under the command of Battalion Chief William Rogers, and later under Chief of Department John Kenlin, resulted in two nine-alarm assignments being dispatched, bringing in companies from throughout the borough. It was finally brought under control around 4 a.m., but the park 
was a total loss and was never rebuilt. And now it's time for our throwback FDNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. What was determined to be the cause of the explosion of a steam fire engine at a fire on the Bowery in 1868? The answer can be found in our last episode. And remember, you can listen to that and all of our previous episodes by going to nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you by the New York City Fire Museum, the official museum of the FDNY. With help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official philanthropic organization of the department. As we wrap up our fourth season of the Throwback FDNY podcast, I would like to thank all the people and groups that make it possible, starting with the New York City Fire Museum, along with support from the FDNY Foundation. And I especially want to thank my colleagues at the FDNY Digital and Media Unit, led by Joe Malvasio, without whom these monthly episodes would not be possible. Thank you to our producer and director, Nick Gus. And I'd like to acknowledge Patty Murphy, who has contributed to preserving and celebrating the history of the FDNY over the course of her career, to include helping launch and produce the Throwback FDNY podcast, and is now the executive director of the New York City Fire Museum. I'm your host, Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this important reminder. During this time of the year, traditions abound, many of which hold the potential for increasing the risk of fires. If your plans include such things as candles or indoor trees, please understand all the applicable safety practices that you should put in place. Please do not use open flame candles. Battery powered replacements have come a long way and now look just as beautiful as the dangerous ones. If you set up a tree in your home, whether live or artificial, make absolutely sure that all electrical fixtures, like lights, have a UL approved label and are plugged into outlets without overloading and electrical cords have no frayed or bared wires. We could all do our part to be a partner with the fire department by promoting fire safety. So happy new year. And until next time, thank you and stay safe.